0: I don't say this to in any way bring condemnation, I say it realistically when I'm on the farm and I look at the tomato plant and every day I go out and cultivate and water and there are no tomato blossoms. I begin to get concerned, will there be any tomatoes this year? And I've spent much time cultivating your lives, cultivating on the radio, and yet I see in most, in most of you, I see very little spiritual growth. I'm concerned about that. And you've been with me long enough to know I pretty much talk about everything. That's one of my covenants with God. I talk about it all. I'm not going to bury it. So I can't tell you how pleased I am to see all of you. Some of you I've not seen for some time. It's wonderful that you're here because you will be accountable for what you hear today. It's all good news but you will be accountable for what you hear. I was shocked this last Tuesday evening at our prayer group when I asked those in attendance if they would reflect for me on last Sunday's sermon and tell me how they had put it into practice this past week. And almost without exception, people could not talk about it. They looked at me like, what did you preach? It's like it went in one ear and flew rapidly out the other ear. Now, let me be very plain with you. Today's message will have no spiritual value for you if you do not invest any time in meditation. (laughs) Meditation is that lost art of where we take what we have heard and we synthesize it, We bring it into our heart and we think about what our response is going to be in concrete terms. If God is anything, he is a businessman and he wants a return on his investment and he has invested a great deal in your life. If this is the first time you're at the prayer chapel The reason you're here is because God has invested in your life. And he's prepared to invest a great deal more. But with that investment, he wants a return. He does not go out and invest and then forget where he invested. He does not purchase a piece of property and go out and forget that he purchased the property. If I went out this afternoon and looked at an apartment complex, and I recognized the renovation necessary to bring it up to par, and I saw the empty apartments because they were not properly inspectable, You think I would purchase that property and then forget about it for the next six months? Are you kidding me? No, I would have people in that apartment complex renovating those apartments. Why? Because I want a revenue stream out of that apartment. I want profitability out of that apartment. Well, you are not your own. You were bought with a price and God has invested a great deal in your life, and you can take what God has invested in you and run with it, and then you're called a thief. And some of you, frankly, have been thieves. You have taken what God has invested in your life, and you've gone and made a mess of it. God invested in you, and now he wants a harvest out of you. So today, I'm going to share with you very specific things that if you will take the time to think about, if you will take the time to begin to function in what I'm going to share with you, your spiritual growth will be rapid. Some of you in this house have invested back with Jesus. He invested in you. You've now invested in him. And that investment is paying you exceptional dividends in spiritual growth and maturity. It heals marriages, it restores children, it restores health. There is nothing that is impossible with God but it depends on what you do with the investment he's made into your life. And may I just say this? God is not stingy. God is not stingy. He is not afraid to invest all of heaven in your life. Ephesians, the first chapter read all that he has invested in you. It is one of the most fantastic chapters in all of scripture. It nails item by item by item all of heaven, it says. It says that nothing was held back from the riches of heaven to invest in your life. So when the divine, when the divine giver takes possession of a property, he has a twofold expectation. One, intense cultivation. And two, abounding fruitfulness. Or in real estate terms, the first thing he does is begin intense renovation, ripping walls out, tearing up floors, changing even the foundation if necessary. And then he wants profitability out of that piece of property. Now, he can only do one piece at a time. He doesn't tear up every apartment. He takes one part that's a mess and he renovates it. He puts it in shape and he builds it out so that it looks new when he's finished. And then he moves on to the next. Where is the first room God begins to work in in your life? Your prayer life. Your prayer life. The first room God wants to renovate in you is your prayer life. How does he get you to allow him to begin to renovate your prayer life? He rips up things. He tears up the old. He brings crisis to your life. He brings suffering into your life. How does he bring suffering? He uncovers the rot that's already there. He begins to uncover the hidden secrets of your heart. And now you have no choice but to go to God and begin to say, look at this stinking mess in my life. I can't fix it. My marriage is broken. My kids are terrible. My, I'm a mess. Well, now you're going to begin to pray. Now, what is it that triggers all of this? Is you finally beginning to say, I really know my life is a mess. I know I need to change it. I've tried. I can't fix my marriage. I can't fix my kids. I can't fix. I can't do it. I can't make my job work. I can't. I can't. I can't. And finally you say, can you, God? And he says, yes. And at that point, you're willing to say, "Okay, God, I'm turning my life over to you. I've had it. I've gone as far as I can go. Now, some of you have not gone yet as far as you can go. You still want to hide your mess. You still want to pretend you're righteous. You still want to. Pretend that you've got it together and you are going to win. Well, God's going to deal with you. But you're not going to make fast progress with Jesus Christ until you come to the end of yourself. You can do that the easy way or the hard way. Most of us do this the hard way. I specialize in doing things the hard way. I don't say that with pride. It's just my own stubborn way. But we begin to cry out to God and say, Lord, would you bring me to the end of myself? I don't want any more pain. I've had it. Would you bring me to an end of myself? See, the problem is not the child or the husband or the job or the boss. You're the problem. You're the one that has to change. And as soon as you're willing to admit that you're the problem with all the defenses gone And between you and God, and hear me please, God will never accuse you. God will never condemn you. He'll never throw you away. He'll invest in you. But the terms of the investment are, God, I'm a mess. Will you take over my life? All right. You can say it and then walk away and not even believe it, but he heard it and he'll start doing it to you. And the first thing he'll do is he'll begin to bring the crisis and the suffering and uncover the wickedness and uncover the bitterness and uncover and uncover and uncover. And that's what begins to drive us into the prayer closet. Now, He puts you under cultivation. This may go on for 10 years. I've known people to be under cultivation for 30 years, 40 years. I've been under for 40 years. I was a hard case. Part of it depends on what he intends to do with your life how he intends to use you or not use you. But once you're under cultivation and the prayer life begins to move, so you'll quickly learn that you don't pray just general prayers. General prayers are just general prayers. You can pick them up at the five and dine. You can pick them up at Target. God doesn't care about general prayers. You can shoot them at heaven all day long, and they won't even pierce the clouds. God wants you to finally get specific. Jesus, if you don't change this in my life, I'm done. I'm going to die. If you don't step in and begin to move in this circumstance, I'm done. God wants specific prayers. You'll notice sometimes one of you will say, please, would you all pray for me? And everybody will come up and they'll gather around and we'll anoint with oil and and I'll say, would you pray for them? And you may wonder, pastor, why aren't you praying for them? Because I didn't get permission from God to pray for them. And if God didn't tell me to pray, nothing will happen when I pray. I've learned I only pray what the Holy Spirit quickens me to pray. I don't pray general feel-good, happy prayers. Jesus, heal her sore toe, please. I don't pray that kind of prayer unless Jesus says, pray it. And as you grow in your maturity, as you begin to deal with God and He begins to deal with you, you'll discover you can't just pray for everybody and His brother. You begin to learn there are very specific things God wants you to deal with Him on And if God's dealing with you, his power will be in it, and your prayer will be effectual. Now, I'm saying all of this to you to ask you this question. Can the Holy Spirit, through you, use the power of the atonement of Jesus to break the devil's power and bind the strong man and steal his goods. Let me ask the question again. Are you at a place with Jesus where you can, by the Holy Spirit, Use the power of the atonement of Jesus to break the devil's dominion and bind the strong man and steal his goods. Now, let me be very specific. Can you pray for that man in your life? And by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the blood of Jesus, bind the strong man by the Spirit, that he can no longer walk in wickedness, but will walk in the power of Jesus. Look, if you have no ability in the spirit realm to bind the strong man, he will rob everything from you. He will take your children. He will take your husband, your wife. He will take your, your life. He will take your money. He will take everything. You have to know how to bind this strong man and you have to know who binds him. It's by the blood of the atonement of Jesus that the strong man is bound. It's not what you do. It's what Jesus does. Now how do you relate to Jesus in a way that allows him to bind that strong man for you so that you can have what the devil has stolen from you. Now, it'd be very interesting to just, I wish I had time, just to Ed, Josh, Christina, what has the devil stolen from you? Has the devil stolen anything from you? Are you aware of anything being stolen from you? Oh, he's stolen time from me. Why has it taken me this many years? I'm 71 years old. Why has it taken me this long to preach this message? I've never preached this before. Why didn't I understand this when I was in seminary? Because it was a cemetery. Nobody knew this stuff. They should have. The devil has stolen from me so many things and so many precious people, so many friends, people that I loved who died hating Jesus. And everything I could do to win their hearts, I failed at. I gave them doctrine. I gave them gifts. I gave them my love. I gave them everything I knew to give them, and I couldn't touch them. Because I didn't understand that the only way I could touch them was via the throne room of God. And that Jesus himself had to come and touch them. How could I get Jesus to come and touch them? There's a person I care a lot about who is not a Christian. And the strangest thing happened today I've spent all week walking with Jesus. I wasn't on radio this week, so I've spent my time in the prayer closet. Some of you have said to me, Pastor, are you rest? Are you kidding me? I'm more exhausted than I was at the beginning of the week. Why? Because I've been swinging the sword in the prayer closet. And as I was sitting there during the music, While Richard was singing, I had the clearest vision of this person sitting in our congregation. I've been struggling all week for the assurance that this person will be saved. You understand, people come to Jesus one by one. They don't come in droves. They come one by one as somebody cares enough to go into the throne room of God and do what is necessary to touch the throne of God for that person to be saved and transformed. I saw this person as though I see you right now. I saw him that clearly sitting in this congregation. I said, Jesus, thank you. I got it. I got it. Satan's power is broken over this person. I'm going to see him sitting here. Now, by the way, it's not accidental that some of you are sitting here. Because I've been praying for you too. So I'm not surprised when you show. I've been praying for one of you a long time. And you're here today. What I want you to hear me say to you, please, is that you will not grow in the Spirit. You will not grow in Jesus until you allow Him to take your life and renovate it. And He wants to renovate your prayer life. And he wants to take a hold of you and begin to rip apart that ugly, wicked heart. And he wants to make you new. Now, some of you, you allowed him to renovate one part and you said, no. No, that's my, that's my hangout. <laughs> you know, I've got, the, I've got the walls painted orange. I've got the green drapes (laughs) hanging. I've got the psychedelic music going. That's where I go to play my video games. That's where I go to watch my television. I've got my place where I hang out. And Jesus is saying, I want it. I want it. It's next. And if you say no, the renovation stops. And you're going to spend the next years just wasting your life away because Jesus is not going to move until you let him move. Now, I want to be very specific with you. If this message is to have any meaning for you, you're going to have to hear a very practical thing from me. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, let the anger go. You have to say, Jesus, I can't let it go. Would you just take it? There's not one of us here that will give up our anger easily. quickly. But if we ask Jesus to take it, he'll take it. How do you bind the strong man? You don't. Jesus does. And Jesus binds the strong man as you abide in Jesus, as you rest in him. How do you rest in Jesus? By quickly doing what he tells you to do. I want you to go there. No, Jesus, I don't have time today to do that. You tell the king of the universe, I don't have time. Wait a minute, he gave you the gift of 24 hours. You don't have time to do what he asked you to do. Maybe you want to sit on the throne. Maybe you want to be God. Don't eat that. Oh Jesus I have to have that. I have to have it. I'll die if I don't have it. And so those Doritos. Those Doritos. Hey come on. I got to have Doritos or I'm going to die. I've known people to go get in the car and drive a mile to a grocery store to buy a bag of Doritos or drive their husband or their wife to go get them. I have to have what I am hungry for. There's a chicken Reuben sandwich that I love. and there's a specific restaurant that I go to to get it. And all morning I was thinking about this. It just kept coming, you know, unbidden. It just kept coming. Ah. Oh, I was fasting. That's when it comes. Fasting. I want that Reuben sandwich. I finally drove to the restaurant, and I forgot it was closed. And I sat outside in the parking lot, and I said, Jesus, I never imagined that I would bow down and worship a sandwich instead of you. Are you all hearing me? So some will worship a bag of Dorito chips. Some will worship their own ideas being right. Do you know what causes fights between husbands and wives? They each want their own way. And they're both right. And I'll talk to the husband and he'll give me his story and I'd say, yeah, that's reasonable. Then I'll hear from the wife, well, that's reasonable. Maybe you two ought to just kill each other. Maybe we ought to admit that neither one of us are right. That we're so right we're wrong. And give up the fight. But do you know what? Sometimes some of us just like to fight. Just for the sake of the fight. Yeah, Zach. Just for the sake of the fight. You take that position, honey. I'm going to take this position. And let's see who can win. (laughs) Progress, rapid progress, is made in the things of God, when we're willing to humble our hearts and do what he has told us to do. And as soon as we begin to deal with what he has told us we're to do, and we recognize we don't want to do it or we think we can't do it, we're now in the prayer closet. Now we have to deal with Jesus. And it's dealing with Jesus that causes us to grow rapidly in the things of God. It's blowing off the things of Jesus and his word to us and just living out our lives that we just spin our wheels and we make no progress And then you give your pastor heartache. I'm pretty tired of heartache. I want rapid growth in this church. Rapid spiritual growth. I don't care how many people come. You've come. God called you. So now, will you settle in your mind that Jesus shall have the authority and the rule over your life. Once and for all, will you totally say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm going to love my beloved. And Jesus, you're my beloved. You will make no progress in Jesus until you come to this absolute conclusion. And then every time you begin to violate that covenant with Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to step in and he's going to say, stop it. I want you to go this way. But you see, to take this posture means that you're no longer in charge of your life. That you have surrendered your life to Jesus. You are completely consecrated to him. You're no longer consecrated to the fight and the battle. You're no longer given to being right. You're no longer given to money or prosperity or success. You are now given as a servant to the living God of heaven. And what he chooses to do with your life is his business. You keep your nose out of it. All you do is obey as he opens before you what he's asked you to do. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken with some of you and we've come to a specific issue and I've turned and said to you, will you do that? And you say, no. No, I don't want to do that. Okay. Go around the block another time. I mean, some of you have worn a path around the mulberry bush. You've gone around it so many times. Don't you get tired of going around that circle? Aren't you tired of being tired? Aren't you tired of being angry? Aren't you tired of the fight? Aren't you tired of pushing Jesus away from you? I tell you today, I have been asking Jesus, is there anything in my life that is blocking your presence. And I ask it with absolute assurance that there was nothing left in my life that was blocking his presence. (laughs) Right. Immediately he pointed it out. Now, I have to take that thing that he pointed out to me. And I have to be absolutely observant and consecrated to give that to him every time it comes up until there is a total, complete renovation in my soul so that no longer will I ever go back to that thing. Some things are quick and easy. Other things are much more difficult. The root of bitterness is one of the most difficult things to deal with that any of us are faced with such a a beautiful, wonderful, kind Christian, until suddenly that sore point with that X is touched. And then that kind, loving person turns into a ravenous wolf. Those things have to be dealt with. I want to read something for you. Found in the book of Galatians. Galatians, the fifth chapter. I'm going to begin reading for you from the Lavender translation in verse 19. This is Lavender's translation, Galatians, the fifth chapter. I'm going to begin reading for you at verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are manifestations. Please hear what he's saying. That if you get angry and cuss your husband out, that is a manifestation of something much deeper going on in your heart. If you are bitter or angry with someone who has done something wrong to you, That's a manifestation of something much deeper in your heart. The works of the flesh are manifestations. Manifestations of a sinful heart. Now, what are those manifestations? Number one, adultery. Fornication. Uncleanness. Indecency. Why? Because when the human heart gets lonely and that other person that we're married to does not satisfy that inward longing to be recognized, to be important, or whatever it is that we're hungry for. We'll go get some love somewhere else. And now guys and gals can just go to the computer and get their fix in the porno images. Birth rate is plummeting in Japan. Why? Because the young men and women are spending so much time in porno, they can't get hooked up with each other. They can't have real intimacy and relationship because of all the images on the screen. Idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry is the worship of something other than God. That's a manifestation of a, of a heart that desires to control reality and be God. Hatred. Discord. Jealousies. Outbursts of wrath strife, dissensions. What's what's the word dissension mean? It means you're way over there and I'm way over here and the two are not going to meet. When husbands and wives get in dissensions, they go to bed and one turns his back to the other. It's freeze-out time. Those are dissensions. Dissensions. It's a manifestation of a heart that has not been transformed by Jesus yet. False teachings. What's the number one false teaching in the American church today? Very simply, the Gnostic teaching that says, you can be saved in the midst of your sin. You can sin against Jesus. As long as you're doing your best, you can sin against Jesus and you'll be saved. It's a lie. Then, Pastor, how can any of us be saved? Because we all sin. That's a lie. It's an excuse to maintain my life while denying the power of the blood of Jesus. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries. What are revelries? Partying, eating and drinking and carousing and telling dirty jokes, and it's the club scene. And things similar to these, which things I told you before, even as I said before, that the ones Practicing such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he goes on. But the fruit of the Spirit. You notice he does not say the fruits of the Spirit. It's a singular fruit. And you know what they are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In fact, the ones who are Christ crucified, in fact, the ones who are of Christ crucified the flesh with the passions and lusts. Please hear me. When you say to Jesus, bring my life under full renovation, I belong to you, the fruit of the Spirit will begin to grow in your life. You'll suddenly recognize the anger and bitterness is gone. Where to go? Jesus simply removed it, and the fruit of love is growing in your heart. Even someone who has desperately harmed you, you'll have no animosity toward because the Spirit of Christ in you. See, we don't practice loving. We don't practice patience. We don't practice kindness. These are things that just begin to fill our life as God renovates us. This is not fruits. This is fruit. So again, I ask you the question. Are you willing to allow Jesus to bind the strong man that has been stealing from you? Whether it's your health or your marriage or your money, whatever it is, are you willing to let Jesus bind that strong man as you Give him your life to be renovated and changed and transformed into his likeness. And as he does that in you, in very specific areas, let's say the issue is a bitter heart. As you allow Jesus to remove that bitter spirit from your heart, and you're crying out for that other person, or that situation in your life, God will begin to step in and bind the strong man so that he can no longer steal from you. Did you get that connection? The scriptures are plain, and I, and I just give them to you and ask you to look them up and read them. John 15, the Gospel of John, chapter 15 verses 1 through 8, 1 John 2, 3 through 6. John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the commandments of my Father and remain in his love. As we remain in Jesus... Jesus binds the strong man who has been destroying our lives. Now, don't don't let me sweet talk you, please. I'm talking about a bitter life battle where that husband will not come to Jesus unless you die and let Jesus have control of your life. That business deal will never take place if you don't get your hands off it and let Jesus step in and begin to control what's going to happen. And you control what's going to happen by submitting to what Jesus has told you to do. And as you do that, he binds the strong man in the spirit realm and he sets you free. We're going to talk a lot more about this in the coming days. We're going to talk about it Tuesday night. We're going to talk about this until we've got it. And the the, the strong man is bound in this congregation. He's stealing from us. I'm tired of it. I want Jesus. He is my beloved. Are you ready to give up your life to Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, for some reason, I just keep having to come back time after time and recognize how devoted I've been to running my own life and how hesitant I have been to totally give up everything to you.